For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom conference. The U.S. Department of the Interior allows gaming compacts between Governor Stitt and two Native American tribes to become legal. The inaction by the agency means the Oto Missouri tribe and the Comanche Nation use existing and future casinos for updated gaming technologies and event wagering. Some say that is illegal in the state. Ryan, were you surprised by this? You know, I think everyone was kind of surprised because, uh, you know, if anybody, if there was going to be a prediction here, it was going to be that the Interior Department was going to act one way or the other, not punt. And that's exactly what they did here is they they just decided to wash their hands of the, the matter entirely and leave it up to federal courts and the state Supreme Court and probably months and months and months of very acrimonious litigation it's not helpful for uh, tribal sovereignty. It's not helpful for the Oklahoma gaming compacts. It's not helpful for the state of Oklahoma. Uh, <clears throat> so I think, you know, it's it's uh, yesterday's deci- non-decision, or not yesterday, but this non-decision by the Interior Department. Um, you know, the uh, the uh, if, if you look at what the tribes are saying, I mean, it's they're saying that it's it's hard to see how this is. Uh, a win at all, you know, that that nobody should really be celebrating this because what it marks is, you know, continuing ongoing litigation. Neva. I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, the Interior Department uh, used the term deemed and not approved, and there's a big difference in that terminology. And I think when you look at it, the issues that still are at the, at the center of this entire conversation is about the state's uh, the, the state's position and the fact that the governor has he indeed overreached uh, has he exceeded his authority that's what the uh, the lawsuit brought by the uh, uh, the leaders of the house and senate uh, really seeks to uh, resolve uh, and as Speaker McCall said himself uh, when when their lawsuit was filed uh, that it was much more than gaming compacts that that was being talked about here that it was a federalism file uh, that it is a federalism filing to protect states rights and the rule of law so we have a lot of very serious issues here and the fact that the um, the the agreements and the by the attorney general's uh, position the illegality remains with governor Stitt and the two signing tribes that there is still um federal law defects and and there are still issues here with respect that they have done things outside the scope of what is already in statute in the state of Oklahoma. Ryan, the attorney general had urged the Interior Department to to disavow this, basically to, to, to deny it. Well, and the attorney general had very strong words uh, for the Interior Department's failure to act here, um, because if the Interior Department had invalidated these compacts, if they'd said that these compacts violated uh, federal law, that they were not going to go into effect, uh, it would have uh, cut off uh, this this long protracted now necessary litigation uh, among everybody from legislative leaders uh, to the majority of the state's uh, tribal governments um, and the attorney general on one side and two tribes and the governor on the other. Um, I think that the, the law here seems really clear. Uh, the compacts renewed on January 1, <clears throat> absent uh, a new agreement in place, and you know, now the question of whether or not the governor can act outside of state law to create new compacts uh, that are not off, that he's not authorized to do uh, just by virtue of his executive office uh, also seems pretty clear that he's acting outside of the law. And so, um, you know, we're going to have to now, instead of 
the Interior Department shutting that down, at least on one of those issues. Um, the, now, now we're going to have to withstand months of litigation to answer these questions, which I think most legal observers know what the answers are going to be. Well, and when you look at the Attorney General's language, I mean, uh, to, to, to say to the Department of Interior that, uh, that this was a thoughtless and irresponsible inaction on the compacts, and that really doesn't change any conclusion uh, that maintaining that the governor lacks the authority to enter into the compacts, and also the fact that if you are going to, by definition, change the statute and expand uh, the gaming definition, which what this, which is part of what we're talking about here, sports betting and other things that uh, the uh, compacts the governor entered into with these two small tribes. There are so many complicating factors here, and it's regrettable that you're right, that we're going to see another season of lawsuits and litigation and, uh, and, and a still unresolved major issue for the state of Oklahoma and the tribes. Governor Stitt and his wife, Sarah, moderate a discussion on race. The panel included two African-American community members, a black sheriff's captain and a white police chief. Neva, what did you think about this talk? Well, I I think you know the governor's office uh, you know made uh, uh, made a statement that this was going to be the first of several of these types of uh, uh, roundtable discussions and and similar type of conversations. However, when you really look at it, on the one that was uh, uh, streamed Sunday evening, it appeared to get uh, it appeared to get very little attention. Um, I think it was. Uh, it was their attempt to kind of infuse themselves into the into the conversation, but largely, I think it it uh, uh, appeared to be something that people didn't pay that much attention to. And I think uh, when we look at the larger the larger uh, picture here, I think I think the question for many Oklahomans is when and where will the serious conversations, uh, the set down conversations on policy issues, on matters that are legitimate for government at every level to be having a conversation about and not just waiting till a pile of bills uh, are dropped in February uh, in the new lapse of legislators to take take a look at. It's something that involves uh, it involves us at every level. And I think if this is the beginning of a conversation, we have a long way to go and we need to get a lot more people involved in the conversation. Ryan. Well, if you, you know, I think it was disappointing. I think it was a disappointing round table. If you look at what the uh, state legislative, the Oklahoma Legislative Black Caucus had to say in their release, uh, you know, state representative Regina Goodwin and state representative Jason Lowe, uh, representative Goodwin talked about why, why are we asking, uh, you know, what can we do when there have been a number of issues that the Black Caucus, she says, has collectively created uh, and put in front of the legislature that have just been rejected, not heard and dismissed without any leadership from the governor to lift those up. And so, you know, this this has been an ongoing conversation. Where's the governor been on all of those reforms? And Representative Lowe uh, says that instead of a substantial meeting on inequity, we had a superficial show of solidarity. And, you know, and I think that, you know, it's one of those things where we, we've seen in the, in the last couple of few weeks now, a handful of gestures. And some of those gestures have been incredibly important, but a lot of those gestures are empty, meaningless, and, and, and verge on, on propaganda. Uh, you know, we see cops kneeling with protesters, promises uh, to renew citizen review boards. Um, you know, all of those things fall well short of dismantling a system of law enforcement that by its very nature is wired 
produce the violent, horrible outcomes that we see every single day. Um, you know, we we are avoiding largely, you know, uh, a bigger conversation about the kinds of policies that have to happen to dismantle systemic racism uh, in Oklahoma, uh, and not not the least of which, you know, the United States, but right here in Oklahoma, where you know, two of uh, the most violent police departments in the nation, Oklahoma City and Tulsa, uh, are are operating. And so this, I think, goes along in that, that similar vein of empty gestures, wanting to check a box and say, you know, we're here, we stand with the Black community, but uh, it's really going to be telling when the governor has to put his pen to actual policies and use his power of the governor's office to push actual policies in the legislature that to this point have uh, failed to get hearings. I do think it's important, though, to uh, to to really take a position that it that we should support any and every elected person and organized group and just Oklahomans across all 77 counties engaging in, in thoughtful conversation, coming together. Uh, any conversation obviously has has benefit, uh, particularly if it's done. Uh, if it's done with the backdrop of of wanting to uh, learn more, to hear more from others, to have to have an ongoing dialogue, and that's something that you know many many say has been missing for a long time. But we can't, uh, even if we don't like some of the uh, some of the efforts along the way, I think we should be supportive of the overall process and 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 rally behind all of those that uh, keep this conversation going. A new poll shows majority support for protesters. The survey of 500 likely voters finds 58 percent believe racial and ethnic dis- discrimination to be a big problem. It also shows 60 percent of Oklahomans believe the anger from protesters over the death of George Floyd was at least partially justified. Ryan, what did you think of this poll? Well, I think that it shows, um, you know, one, that there has been progress that's been made. We're seeing Oklahomans, you know, realize that this is a problem. We're seeing it increasingly among white Oklahomans, but <clears throat> seriously not enough. And one of the one of the real challenges coming out of this poll is there's a disconnect between the belief that uh, racial violence by police officers is a real problem. Um, you know, we saw black respondents reporting that they'd had experiences or they knew of experiences where that was an issue at a much higher level than white Oklahomans. And that, I think, is just a real disconnect from reality. I mean, the, the, the simple fact of the matter is, <clears throat> if you're a black Oklahoma, your likelihood of experiencing police violence is disproportionately higher uh, than your white counterpart in Oklahoma. And so, you know, the, the idea that um, white Oklahomans have failed to fully absorb that reality that black Oklahomans live on a daily uh, life, their experience, their actual experience. I mean, that shows that there's a lot of work still still remaining um, in, in these conversations of, of of recognizing that, you know, this isn't this isn't just some one off instance. You know, this isn't a few bad apples. Uh, this is an entire system uh, that is, again, wired to create these outcomes. And you know, we have to fully reexamine that uh, if we're going to get to those kinds of numbers and we're in Oklahoma, white Oklahomans are going to have to examine the, the real actual experiences of black Oklahomans to get there as well. Neva. Well, I think when we look at surveys like this, we have to be reminded of when they're taken right in right in the uh, kind of the, the heat of the time frame of what's going on. So it's at the forefront of what people are reading about, seeing, hearing about and talking about. So I think 
one of the takeaways in, in those numbers out of that poll was the fact that only 13 percent of Oklahoma voters said that it was a small problem uh, when they consider racial and, eth and ethnic discrimination. So, I mean, people recognize there's an issue here, but I think they also recognize that what's going on in major metropolitan cities around the nation is not necessarily equivalent to what's what is true and what is taking place here in the state of Oklahoma. So I, I, I think to this broad brush of trying to paint it that it's it, it is universally the same, it's universally bad and all that uh, comes along with it, I, I think people pause and reflect on that. And I think Oklahomans have some discernment that uh, based on their own you know, their own experiences and their own communities, they may see that differently. And in, in the meantime, we get these videos from Oklahoma City uh, showing uh, the uh, the man who died last year in police custody, uh, all very similar to what had happened with George Floyd. We had uh, in Tulsa, the, the teenagers who were thrown to the ground and handcuffed for jaywalking. Uh, does this change people's opinions on 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 how people are, people are being treated in, by the police? I think that when Absolutely. we see, yeah, I think when we see Derek Scott on the ground saying he can't breathe and an Oklahoma City Police Department officer saying, I don't care, um, which is the video that uh, that was released as part of BLM's demands from the city of Oklahoma City. Uh, when we see that, uh, it, it shouldn't be seen as an isolated incident. It shouldn't be excused as a few bad apples. Uh, again, this goes to the very heart of what policing uh, was intended for in the United States and what it has remained. And, you know, this is, this is a time when we have to make really hard decisions as a society about how we best achieve public safety. And what we're doing right now simply isn't working. And not only is it not working, it's terrorizing large segments of our society uh, with the daily threat of violence. And Neva, what were you saying? I was just saying, I mean, I, along that line, that when we look at these these uh, percentages, these statistics, these polls, I think we have to keep in mind that we can't be influenced by just but by just a passing poll or numbers that we hear. We have to look at the at again at the conversation of yes, there are problems. There are specific examples every community probably across this country can point to, and those have to be addressed in those communities by the leaders and the and the citizens uh, coming together and figuring out how to how to make that happen. So I think sensationalizing. Much of this that has gone on uh, does uh, does make it something that people then try to create it more of a partisan divide that helps no one in resolving these issues. It 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 is absolutely imperative that everyone come to the table, and I think that's going to be that's going to be the 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 real key to the leadership being able to make that happen. Well, and while there was a certainly there was a partisan divide in the the poll, I do have to ask uh, Neva because I, I there what it seemed like was the independents were more in line with the Democrats in that poll than the Republicans. Should that uh, give pause to some of the elected leaders? I, again, I th I think it shouldn't be predicated on. Uh, looking at was it Republican numbers, Democrat numbers, or independent numbers, and what the percentages were, it should be about Oklahomans looking at it and dealing with these these serious issues. No one's questioning the fact that we need to look at the issues, but we don't need to create a hysteria or a thought process that somehow uh, we can't wrap our arms around this and be able to uh, uh, 
uh, come up with some solutions because clearly we can if we if we put uh, people in the rooms together and have these conversations and work it out. Another poll is showing a partisan divide on a possible COVID-19 vaccine and wearing masks. According to the survey, fewer than half of Republicans would get would get a vaccine against the disease, while more than 70 percent of Democrats would get one if it becomes available. Also, there appears to be about a 20 percent gap between the parties on wearing masks. Neva, why would there be such disparity here? Well, I think uh, I, I think as even the uh, pollsters indicated that there. Uh, this partisan breakdown probably has as much to do with the president's rhetoric on things such as masks. Uh, the fact that uh, uh, let's remember, I mean, in Oklahoma, uh, Donald Trump has an 87 percent approval rating among Republicans. So um, it, it would it would be logical to presume that much of uh, what's being what's being said out there by the president is being supported uh, in large numbers by uh Oklahomans who support the president and his views, his policies. And I think basically what we see in this poll is uh, that borne out in the numbers. Ryan. Well, yeah, I think a lot of it does have to do with the president. I think a lot of it has to do with with local leadership as well, state leadership. You know, this this past weekend, I was in the neighboring state of New Mexico. And I can tell you driving through the Oklahoma panhandle where there's you know still a hotspot of uh, COVID outbreak. Um and, you know, going into, uh, I, I went into a gas station there and of course I was, I was wearing my mask uh, and practicing social distancing. And there weren't very many masks, if any, uh, that were on display there. But then as soon as you cross the border into New Mexico, everyone's got a mask. Even walking around in the sidewalks, people have masks on. And I think that that's just a testament to statewide leadership. And what we've seen in Oklahoma is a total capitulation by Governor Stitt to President Trump and this idea that you know, we don't we don't have to wear masks, that masks are somehow a symbol of weakness, political weakness or, or, or masculine weakness or otherwise. But I also think that in addition to the president's rhetoric, um, that we're also seeing that this is kind of the, um, the playing out of the Republican or the conservative war on science that we've seen for years. I mean, they're among conservative circles and in particular, you know, and that breaks down on, on partisan lines with with Republicans. We've seen for years uh, a war on science um, and everything from climate change to tobacco studies to, to you name it, uh, there has been a, a political effort underway by conservatives to drive home the idea that we should be skeptical of scientists, especially whenever they interfere with our economic interests. Um, and that's essentially what we have right now is that we've created this idea of um, you know infantile ideas about freedom uh, in an effort to support economic interest and at the expense of everyone's public health. Um, so this, this is just another manifestation of the war on, on science akin to the war on uh, science regarding climate change. I think the interesting thing in the, in the survey that, as I recall, there was about 30% that said that they had a member of their household that had lost income or a job because of the pandemic. That number is far less than the, uh, uh, the Census Bureau uh, had reported back in uh, last month. So I think I think when we talk about a lot of these is issues, masks and vaccines and many other things that are uh, a conversation going on across the country, in Oklahoma, I think uh, one of the things that people are really beginning to key in on is how do we get the economy back on track? I mean, we see, uh, we see on almost uh, any main street, uh, 
businesses that have closed permanently. We still see the impact on uh, really uh, seeing any sort of substantial jumpstart in the economy overall. The numbers certainly uh, reflect that in the the tax commission uh, receipts and other things. So these are these loom, I think, heavy uh, on the on kind of the landscape for Oklahoma. And it will be interesting to see how that influences voters, not only in the upcoming June 30 primary, but also uh, in the November election. After the president decided he didn't want to receive his party's nomination in North Carolina before a sparse crowd wearing masks, Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell, as the Republican, asked the Republican National Committee to hold its convention in Oklahoma. While it's not very likely for 2020, Neva, what do you think of the idea of a presidential convention in the Sooner State? Well, I mean, obviously, it's something that Republicans have talked about uh, with the ex- with the expanding number of hotel rooms in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. It's something that uh, uh, both both cities have uh, uh, at times uh, expressed an interest in. And in the instance of the national convention this year, I think uh, obviously Oklahoma. Uh, when we look at Oklahoma City, uh, they would not have the hotel space. I mean, based on numbers, if you were having a full size convention. But I know that uh, there have been uh, things uh, expressed uh, among Republican, uh, among Republican activists, as well as uh, people involved um, uh, in the in the Republican Party nationally. That perhaps uh, the look of the national convention may may be something very different than we've seen in the past, perhaps a a regional set of regional conventions that are over a period of a week or 10 days that uh, uh, are smaller, smaller venues, but allow for people to come in and out of those venues, the delegates to vote, the nomination process to take a a totally different look, but it is an incumbent president. And, and that, that will dictate largely what ultimately happens if the president uh, he will pick a site uh, and be uh, it will be uh, a site that he feels comfortable will allow him to have the interaction if it's a full convention or if they go some other direction. But ultimately, um, we're in an environment where both national conventions are having to, to having to take a completely different look at how they're going to conduct them. And there's more questions and answers, I think, for both uh, parties still at this point on what it what it finally is going to look like. Ryan, you know, when when the governor of North Carolina said he put the health of his people ahead of the RNC taking place there, um, uh, it was our own lieutenant governor with his hat in hand saying, come on, Oklahoma, I'll gladly risk the health of Oklahomans to guarantee a spot on primetime TV. Now, imagine that for a moment, that that's that's really what we're seeing is that one state uh, has said, you know, the health the health of our people comes first. Uh, and another state saying, you know, we're open for business, you know, uh, public health concerns, uh, you know, don't aren't going to interfere with our efforts to recruit you here. And, you know, I would have said that it was a long shot to have the Republican National Convention in Oklahoma until yesterday uh, or until Wednesday of this week mm-hmm. when the governor announced that the president uh, at his invitation had accepted his invitation uh, to announce the president's re-election campaign for president in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, on the heels of the 99th anniversary of the Tulsa race massacre, uh, within walking distance of mass graves of black men and women and children murdered by whites with the support of the government, uh, with the support of the government, 
um, that that's where this and, president and on, and on Juneteenth on uh, Juneteenth on June 19th, uh, the, uh, on, June 19th uh, on Juneteenth celebration of emancipation. Um, you know, shameful doesn't begin to describe it. Uh, and so I this this effort to ingratiate himself to the president uh, by our governor and by the lieutenant governor uh, and doing it in a way that defiles the memory of one of the most awful events in our nation's history. Uh, again, you know, shameful doesn't begin to describe it. But knowing this president, uh, you know, shameful acts like that are the, are the way to his heart. And so it wouldn't surprise me at, at this point if Oklahoma is now, and Tulsa in particular, is now in the running to host at least part of the Republican National Convention. We, we may, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't hear some announcement like that when the president is here on Juneteenth. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.